Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real people, real stories, real hope. My name, my name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me, as always, my co-host in life, her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we keep this a hope train, a moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo! All right, Jennifer, we've got a special edition episode today. We are um, always, always talking about hope. But today we are going to tackle the really sensitive subject of race inequality, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, the stuff that's, um, well, let's just say really, really current and for a lot of people, really sensitive, and I'm, I'm going to have a special guest come on to talk about his experience in his life mm-hmm. with being racially profiled, pulled over, and ultimately shot Yikes. by police in a case of mistaking identity, and I'll get into that in a moment. But, um, you know, I just I just felt like it's, it's too important to not have the conversation. And I think for us, you know, you and me, I mean, being kind of people, we're white, and I feel like we've enjoyed white privilege in this country, and this is my opportunity to talk about that, discuss that, and really talk with somebody else about their experience growing up and how they have had to live in the United States, and um, I, I just think it's important to have these kind of discussions, so... It's probably going to be a little bit of a heavy subject for you, and I know you tend to maybe withdraw a bit when we get into these types of subjects, but... I listen more. Yeah, you are a professional <laughs> listener with a voice, right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I, I think the goal here is to learn something and to educate, right. you know, and for our listening audience, I think it'll be educational, and yeah. I think it's going to be good, so I'm, ex- I'm excited to, uh, to have that conversation, but before we get into that... Mm-hmm. We need to do joke time. We, okay. need, we need to tell some funnies. We need to lighten up the current moment and okay. let's laugh. Let's laugh. Let's laugh a little. All right. Okay. So you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. I'll go first. So I just got to admit, I was addicted to the hokey pokey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I turned myself around. <laughs> You're definitely a punny guy. I'm a punny guy. You're all about those puns. I like them. They yeah. make me laugh, you know? So that was my that was my attempt at humor. Well, it was funny. What you got? Okay. What do you call a ship made from a banana? A uh, slippery boat. <laughs> a banana boat. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about bananas, too. Yep. <laughs> we were just literally talking about bananas. How did I not get that? A banana boat. A I should have gotten that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I feel defeated now. I should have gotten it. All right, Jen. I, I want to transition. We're going to be talking to uh, Phil Holland. And Phil is a young man that um, back in 2014 was unfortunately mistaken for a suspect that supposedly had a gun, and he ended up being shot as a black man twice, once in the leg and once in the face by two white cops. And, you know, clearly a, a case of mistaken identity, but uh, you all let him share it. But mm-hmm. it's just, I just think it's an important discussion to have right now um, to bring everybody up in their awareness level. And so I want to uh, call him, get him on the line, and let's have this conversation. Okay. You ready? Yep. All right, I've got Phil Holland on the line. 
Phil, welcome to Hope Radio Podcast. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me, Sean. Hey, it's uh, sincerely our pleasure to have you on, uh, Phil. For the benefit of our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where do you live? Are you, are you married? You got any kids? You know, tell us a little bit about your current life. Uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, in Buckhead. I am not married, but I do have one two-year-old daughter, and she's about as perfect as I can imagine a kid to be. Um, <laughs> my pride and joy, so. Says says every father of a of a girl, right? You know, Jen Jen says right, that to exactly, me, right? Because she says, you know, we have four boys, and she said, you'll never know what it's like to have daddy's little girl. He's missing out big time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's definitely something very different having a girl. You know yes. how moms or boys cling to their mothers, yes, girls cling to the father. So it's it's, it's very way different. That's what so I'm I tell like him. trying my best to like you know take my time with her as far as like how old she is now and appreciating her, learning her words. And, you know, that's what I'm fascinating with. Like, so I'm not looking forward to her going up and talking back and all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, growing so I'm, up and I'm, talking I'm back. My time with, yep. Yeah. But the time's still going. So I don't know. I'm, I'm taking my time, but it's still going fast. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it does. It, it yeah. just it just flies by. And I've, I've got four mama's boys, that's for sure. I mean, these boys are fiercely protective of their mother and they, they, they love four. her. They, mm-hmm. they, they're best friends with her. And so I think that's the ideal relationship. But yeah, they, I, I think the most challenging time for me as a parent wasn't their teenage years. It actually has been, you know, early adulthood, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. <laughs> Those have been the most challenging years for, for me, but it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, for yeah. you and raising a girl. I mean, I, so Jen and I, when we started dating, I was 18, she was 15. We're high school sweethearts. We've been married for 26 years. Oh, okay. And, yeah. uh, but when I started dating her, her younger sister was seven and I watched that younger sister of hers turn 12, 13, and 14. And in Phil, she was a handful. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that nicely, and I'm saying that politely. But she was a <laughs> handful. And, and I was like, I, I don't want any girls. <laughs> I have two little sisters. They're 20, uh, 20 and 19 now. Or 21 and 19 now. So I know all about how much, <laughs> how, 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 you know, how it can be. So, oh, yeah. That's so I'm just like, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm enjoying my time with her and uh, looking forward to her, seeing, watching her grow up and all that. Oh, it's it's uh it's one of the most beautiful things in the world, and yeah, I appreciate every moment yeah. of it because they do they do grow up quickly. And so um, I was eager to have you on the show, Phil, because you know our discussion today is is I think very current. I think it's a very um, present of mind topic, and that is you know the use yeah. of excessive force with police, police brutality. And uh, just with everything going on with Black Lives Matter and the social unrest and awakening and and people paying attention and trying to be more conscious, et cetera, I just, you know, I I wanted to have you on the show as a first-person witness and as a first-person really suffering from the the hands of what I would consider to be police brutality and excessive use of force. And so why don't you... For the benefit of our listeners, take us back to that fateful night. Um, from what I understand, this is April twenty second of twenty fourteen. So, just you know, what were yeah. you doing that day? What what were the events that led up to this particular event that happened to you? Okay, so back in twenty fourteen, I graduated high school in twenty eleven. I went to Upper Darby High School um, in uh, Pennsylvania. So uh, this took place in Philly. Uh, I was working at a pizza shop. Uh, on 69th Street. For, so for those who live in Philly, 69th Street Pizza Shop, shout out to them, great, great store. Um, I worked for them for about two months. Um, that day, the funny thing about, you know, 
things like, you know, that event or just things in general, when people have accidents or near death experiences, a lot of people will tell you that those days, it's weird how normal those days are until they're not, you know? So, uh, that day in particular was a normal day for me. Uh, I woke up like 4am. I'd work uh, my first job, which is at an airport, working like a little bakery. And I worked there from five to 12 uh, PM. Uh, I would leave the bakery, go school, which I had a class. I had a public speaking class. It was about three hours, about one to four. Um, so I did that and then I had about an hour break and then I do the pizza shop job from five to about 11. And it wasn't like that every day. It was usually like two, three days. I had all those three things. But, um, so that day in particular, I had all those days, all those things. And so that day was like pretty normal. The entire day was like, you know, it went more or less without a hitch. So around, you know, 1030, we were getting ready to, you know, pack up and go home. And somebody ordered something around 1045. The funny thing about it was we had about three delivery guys, but it wasn't my turn because we took, we would, you know, rotate whenever an order was, you know, uh, when it was, whenever a ready, order was ready to go out. So uh, it wasn't even my turn, but the guy whose turn it was, you know, he was, he didn't really care to get the tip or whatever. So he said, you know, Phil, if you want, you can take it. And I was like, sure, whatever, I don't mind. Um, so, you know, I ended up taking his. Um, and the funny thing was he, he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't African-American. So the funny thing was when people say, oh, when I tell people that, they say, oh, it could have been him. I'm like, well, probably not because he didn't fit the description of, you know, uh, who they were looking for. But I can get into that later. Um, so I got to the spot, the person that ordered a cheeseburger, got there about, you know, 1055, I think it was, um, gave the lady her cheeseburger. And that was normal. What started it was when I was walking off the porch and I saw a car at the top of the block and they were kind of like doing donuts. And as weird as that sounds, Imagine like, you know, Fast and Furious or whatever, like they do donuts and, the, and you see the smoke and like whatever. Like yeah. that's literally what I saw. And so I'm just looking like, okay, it's 11 o'clock at night. There's Philadelphia. It's not the worst place in the world, but it's not exactly the best. So, you know. Was this particular neighborhood around. a good neighborhood? Was it a marginal neighborhood? I mean, how would you describe um, where you were delivering to? I can't, I can't speak on how bad that particular neighborhood was because I'd never really been there to begin with. I passed it probably a bunch of times, but I'd never been on that block. But it, it, Philadelphia in general isn't the safest place, especially the, like, you know, it, it was around, I think, I don't want to say Kensington. For those who know Philadelphia, I don't want to say that because Kensington is dangerous, but somewhere around like 52nd Street. I know you don't know what I'm talking about, but the area itself in general isn't that safe. Um, so, but I wasn't really thinking that way. But when I parked my car, as a pizza delivery driver, I tend to not want to stick out at night because I'm having about probably three, four hundred $400 in my pocket. And if I look like a pizza driver, those who might want to rob me will know and they'll get the idea. So that on that, when I got to that street, I parked and it was dark and I couldn't see anything, but I parked normally and I, cause I didn't, you know, double park and have my lights on. I wanted to like, you know, just blend in, so to speak. So, um, when I saw that, uh, at the top of the street, I kind of just like froze, looked at it and I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on. My first thought was it was two drunk guys just playing around or whatever. So, but still, I didn't know. So I got to my car and I kind of just slipped into the driver's seat. Didn't want them to notice me. I don't know why I was thinking this way, but by the time I turned my car on and this is where it kind of like, you know, this all happened. What I'm about to tell you happened in the span of probably like five, 10 seconds. It might sound long, but it wasn't. Um, so I turned the car on and then I turned basically my car lights, you know, they turn off cause I think the car is on. This is when I see two, you know, figures approach me from either side of the car. So I, there's one person in the sidewalk and one person in the street. 
And so the person on, on the sidewalk kind of shines light in my face, like a flashlight. And you at and this, so, and you, know, you at this moment can't make out anything. You have no idea who this is, but all, and all of a sudden there's a flashlight no, I, in well, your, in your face. And this is why I say it might sound long because I'm thinking all these things, but it really only happened within a second. I'm thinking I'm about to get robbed. I don't know who this is. I know I have money on me. This is Philly, et cetera. Um, what I could make out was they were wearing shorts, but that's about all I saw. And I didn't even think about that in that moment. I just saw the shorts. So he shined his flashlight in my face. I block it, you know, with my hand. And then I look to the left. I see the other guy in the street. And then I make out a gun, him pulling out a gun, you know, out of his hip or his side. So in that moment, I don't know exactly what I thought exactly, but it was kind of fight or flight, kind of that, that instinct. So all I know is I'm about to get shot. I need to get out of here. So I pull, and I'm parked with a car in front of me and a car behind me. I don't know how I didn't hit either one, but I kind of just put the car in reverse without even like just thinking about it, just instant, just got out of there. And that's when, as soon as I moved forward, like I moved back, and as soon as I moved forward, I start seeing, you know, muzzle flashes from the gun from either side, just like start popping off and flying at me. And so I duck, because obviously I don't want to get hit in the face or head or whatever. So I duck as I'm still moving forward and trying to get out the spot and get out of, you know, uh, of danger. And as soon as I duck, I hear, I feel like a bullet pierce my thigh. And I can feel it, but there's no pain, like, right away. I, I just feel the penetration. And then I just pass out. It just goes black. And then about probably five, ten seconds later, all I see is glass, you know, crashing or, you know, breaking around me, you know, which is obviously the windshield and my windows. And I'm crashing. This is me crashing into a fence because obviously I passed out. The car moving, crashed into a fence, which is about probably 20 feet away up the street. And so glass, glass is breaking and, you know, I don't know what's going on. And I can't, for some reason, I don't know why yet, but I can't see. And I feel and I'm tasting blood in my mouth and I, I don't really know what's going on. And all I hear is my car door opening to my left and the police saying, announcing themselves saying, hey, police, you know, uh, I don't know what they were saying, like, you know, police, uh, identify yourself or whatever. And all I can say is, you know, I just got shot. Please help me. I just got shot. I don't know it's them that just shot me, obviously. I just don't know. I just know that I got shot. I'm like, I just repeat myself. I'm like, hey, I just got shot. Please help me. I just got shot. And his response to me is, no shit, Sherlock. And so me, bleeding on my face, I had no idea why he would say that, but I didn't have time to think about it pulls me out the car, you know, puts me on my stomach. As I'm bleeding on my face and leg, puts me on the um on the on the ground of the on the ground and handcuffs me. And something that I didn't think about until recently, until uh George Floyd happened this past, I think it was April, uh, was that he actually had his knee on my back. Now he didn't have it on for like more than thirty seconds, probably a minute, but he had his hands on my back as I'm bleeding, no gun on me, no weapons obviously. I I too hurt to even do anything. And he still feels the need to, you know, put his me on my back and handcuffed me and then put me on the floor of their cop car not even like the seat of the car just the floor of their car so i remember i was on the floor of the car and i don't even know what i was thinking but i never found anything like i said because i just passed out so next thing i know i wake up in the er the feeling this is not really a funny part but the feeling that woke me up in the er was the feeling of them ripping my because they kind of had to like you know use scissors to tear all my clothes off to operate because i was like you know just a mess so the, the feeling of, you know, the wind, you know, basically blowing on, you know, my private area kind of just woke me up. I remember jolting. I remember the feeling like it was yesterday, just jolting up and just like feeling it, like what's going on. And so all I see is, you know, lights everywhere and everybody moving back and forth, a bunch of doctors. And, and as soon as they see me wake up, they start asking me, you know, hey, you, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just got shot. Somebody just shot me. I don't know what just happened. 
but I'm in shock, but I'm still aware of like as aware, more aware than you would think somebody had just gone through that would be. So you ask me, you know, what, what year is it? You know, what president? Well, who was the president? You know, I said, yeah, it's 2014, Barack Obama, et cetera, et cetera. And so we said, you know, your name? I said, yeah, Phil Pollen. I just got shot. And I just kept saying that in between, like, somebody just shot me. I couldn't believe that that just happened like that. So um, I was answering his questions normally, you know, up until he asked me, hey, do you know anybody that we can call for you right now, you know, to come see you or to come, you know, emergency your parents or whoever. And so my mom had moved to New Jersey about a year before this happened. And she had begged me to come with her, but I didn't really, it's not that I didn't want to come. I wanted to, I didn't want to leave my friends. I kind of like my job. I wanted to, you know, just, and most of all, I wanted to live my own. I didn't want to just follow my mom to New Jersey. So kind of just stayed back and got roommates and all that. So my mom lived in New Jersey at the time. So uh, that was when I first thought of my mom and me and my mom were really close. So when he said that, I thought of my mom and then I started panicking because I'm like, okay, what if I'm about to die? Because I don't know what's going on. All I'm bleeding. I can't even see right now. The doctor's asking all these questions. I don't know what's happening. And so I start crying when he starts asking for my mom's number, even though I have the number in my head, but I, for some reason, it's not that I chose to cry and ball up my eyes. I was dead. I just like instinctively just cried because I thought for some reason that I was about to die. I don't know yeah. what's going on. So I, can, I, can, I passed I can out see before that. I gave him the number. Yeah, I passed out before I gave him the number, but... I don't know how, but my girlfriend at the time, she called, she found out what had happened. Somebody had called her. I guess it's only in the news. They called her and, you know, said, hey, Phil's on the news. He just got shot. She called my mother, who was asleep. You know, this is about like 2 a.m. now. Um, called my mom. She had, she woke up out of her sleep. It's funny, not funny, but, you know, she she heard my girlfriend say, oh, my God, Miss Odette, Phil just got shot. And she actually hung up the phone because she was just like, can, can you stop with me? My girlfriend had to call back and say, Miss Odette, Phil just, you know, tell her like you know Phil just got shot and my mom just jolted up and the most heartbreaking part of this entire thing for me was the fact that my mom had to drive from New Jersey to Philadelphia hospital not knowing whether I was alive or dead or not because they didn't tell my girlfriend nobody knew whether I was alive or dead or how bad it was all they knew is I got shot in the face so my mom had to drive all the way from Jersey to Philly about a two-hour drive not knowing whether I was even gonna survive or not whether I was even you know dead already so just thinking about that just breaks my heart. Even to this day, we talked about it a couple months ago, and I cried even talking about it six years later. Yeah, but, I can, um, I can, I can so, imagine. L- let me stop you there just for yeah. a second. I, I just want to make sure that we we unpack this. Yeah, no so, problem. so you you're in the hospital. You know you've been shot. You knew you were yeah. originally shot in the leg, but uh, come to find out, you were yeah. also shot in the face as well. Did you? And did, I didn't know this until I woke up. Okay. Like, I didn't know this, so I woke up later on until my mom got there, like, a day later. Because I was in, not a coma, but I was just out for, so like, when, a day and a half or so. So, when they were asking you questions, mm-hmm. hey, do you got a meeting call or whatever, like, at that at that moment, you you could speak, you, you, but, you, but you weren't aware of what was going on. I mean, you probably have adrenaline, you got shock, you got, you know, a, a yeah, thousand it, things going it, on it, right it, now. Exactly. Like, I didn't think about, uh, all I knew was I just got shot. I can't see... I'm aware of what had just happened. I know the year and the president, so obviously I didn't get hit in the brain. Too bad. I did get hit, but I didn't get, you know, not in the sensitive spot, so I can still speak and still remember things and all that. But um, like I said, all I could think about, once he mentioned my mom, I just, like, started crying and then passed out. So, and after that, I was out. This was in the ER before they operated on my on my face because they still had to, this before, the bullets in my face, my nose is, like, open. They say, I don't, I don't know what it looked like. I don't want to know, but they say I had a whole 
in my face, like in the middle of it. So this was before they operated and all that, before Malone got there, before basically anybody knew what was going on. So, um, so yeah, the the, the, that, bu- the bullet that hit you in the face entered your face yeah. by your nose. Yeah, it's basically um, it, it's it's the space between my nose and my eye, basically like that little where the tear duct is, and it, the bullet entered right there. And believe me, I didn't know bullets could even work like this because I would think if you got shot there, it would just go through and that's it for you. But it entered there, bounced, it hit my skull, the front of my skull, bounced around inside of my face, broke the occipital bone, which is the bone that holds up the eyeball. It broke that bone on my right eye and then landed on my lower right cheek. Yeah, um, I didn't. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't think like, a bullet would would bounce around either. But exactly. you know, I, I do when know you told me that. I'm just like what. Yeah. I do know the skull is very, very thick and very powerful. So um, if it was going to yeah. ricochet off any anything, what do you know what caliber the weapon was? I mean, did they normally use 45, uh, 40 or 45 caliber? I was about to say, uh, I don't know what caliber it was. And I'm so mad at myself because when I got surgery to take the bullet out uh, two years later, I forgot before the surgery to ask them to keep the bullet for me because I wanted to ask them. They told me they would have if, if I asked, but I just forgot. Um, but I don't know. I was going to say, I don't know what caliber it was, but it must not have been like a, you know, obviously a hollow point or something like crazy like that. Yeah. It must have been like a small, you know, caliber, like a more minor uh, ammunition. So at what Luckily, point? Because otherwise, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, at what point did you, did you become fully aware of, of what happened? Was it the, was it the next day when your mom, so when did you see your mom and, you know, walk us through the, the, the next morning when the, the actual gravity, I would imagine of what had happened to you yeah. actually set in. Yeah. Cause I'd been aware, but it wasn't until, so basically I was out for about a day and a half and this was when my mom came, my sisters came or some family came from all the way from Virginia. And um, this was when, you know, the cops came and talked to her and explained to her why would happen, why would just happen to happen and all that. So me, I was out for about a day. And the first thing I saw when I woke up was my mom standing over me. But when I woke up, my face was damaged at first. So when I woke up, I actually couldn't see right away. So even after they took the bandages off, my eyes were still swollen shut because of the, all the swelling and the blood and all that. So in the beginning, when I, when I woke up, they could tell because I was moving. So my mom started speaking to me. She was like, Phil, are you, awake? are you awake? And I was like, mom, like, that's mom. That's uh, how you say mom in French. So we speak French. So I was like, mom, is that you? And I was like, she was like, yeah, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, like what's, what's going on? So they, she basically caught me up. And that's when I found out, you know, she told me, yeah, they shot you in the leg. She explained to me, you got hit in the femoral artery, which is, you know, the major vein in the leg. And that's when she told me, that's when I found out, you know, they hit you in the face too. And when she told me that, I'm just like, what? Because I didn't feel that. Or I didn't, you know, know that. Obviously now I'm feeling it because my face is swollen and I would feel it for the next couple months, but I didn't realize that up until that moment. And so, um, uh, so what was that like so for I you? The, How was that to process? I mean, you, 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 all of a sudden you're, you're, you wake up cause you'd passed out very traumatic. I mean, the body, the body goes into, you know, survival mode and, and I, I think it shuts down yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis. And so the next day you, yeah. you wake up and, it, and I would imagine for you, it was like, I mean, is this a, is this real life? Is this a nightmare? Like it, somebody pinched I actually, me. I actually, um, I, one of your interviews that I listened to, um, it was about the girl that, you know, she had a plane crash and she was disfigured. Um, I remember in her story, she woke up in the hospital and she thought that she was still on the plane. Um, that was so fascinating to me. I didn't have anything like that. When I woke up in the hospital, I knew where I was, 
the gravity of it, like I didn't start really crying and like really start feeling about it yet, but I knew that I had just been shot. Didn't know it was the cop shit. She had to, you know, update, update me on that too, but I was more aware than I would think someone would be having just gone through that. So I guess, you know, luckily, I don't know if that's lucky for me, but you know, um, I was, I was very aware of it. I can't believe that you were hit in the leg and the femoral artery. I mean, that normally is, that's normally exactly. from what I understand a death sentence. I mean, like that's not something that's easy to stop the bleeding from once you're hit in the femoral artery. And so that's the, the crazy part of it. A lot of people know about the face shot and I'll get into that shortly. Try not to go too long, but the leg shot, when I get, like you said, it's almost a death sentence because that's a major vein to the leg. And if you bleed out fast enough or you know long enough, that's it for you. So when I got to the hospital, they actually did the femoral artery first. They actually pl- they had to plug it up because I was bleeding so fast. So after they worked on my face, after I woke up and all that, they told me that because the blood, because I, had, I had so much blood coming out and the bullet went clean through, but those two holes weren't enough for the blood to come out. So I basically had to get a triple bypass surgery where they had to cut open my leg and let all the blood just seep out. Because if that didn't work, I would have had to get an amputation on my leg, on my right leg. So luckily it did, but they had to cut uh, two long slits on both sides of my leg and then one slit on my side to let all the blood out. Um, so they could, like, they could, they could properly, you know, insert an artificial vein and, you know, repair the, the femoral artery. So that was one thing I got lucky on. And obviously the second thing was when I got hit in the face, it didn't, you know, I was, they told me that I was supposed to be, I, I probably wouldn't see out that eye. I probably couldn't walk. You know, I'd probably be in a wheelchair. They told me that I had to prepare for certain things because they, they didn't know, even if surgery was, was successful, they didn't know, you know, how bad, well, even if I recovered, whether I'd be able to put weight on it and all that stuff. So, um, and, you know, obviously I'm here walking. So that's just like a miracle in and of itself. But, um, so, and I forgot to say, uh, when I woke up, I actually had a tooth in my throat for a couple of hours. So I didn't speak right away. So at first I was just writing. I couldn't speak. I couldn't see. I was just writing blindly on a pad, just speaking to them. I could hear them, but I couldn't speak or, you know, see. So I was just writing on that. Then I got the tube taken out. That was painful, getting the tube taken out of your throat. It's about as painful and weird as you would imagine. So I couldn't even speak right away. It was like very sore. Took about like probably, I think, half a day. Then I got the bandages taken off. And that, I imagine, was also you know scary for my mom because she didn't know what I looked like under there. She just knew that I got shot in the face. So they unwrapped it. I think she stepped out for that, and she had to come back in. And luckily, you know, it wasn't that bad or as bad as you would think. Um and, uh, you know, eventually I opened my eyes and, uh, the hard part for me, something that I still struggle with to this day was, you know, my right eye, uh, the, the, like I said, the bone around the, the bone that holds up that eye kind of broke. So the eye kind of collapsed a little bit. Um, I wouldn't call myself disfigured, even though sometimes I feel that way, but, uh, it, it's a matter of perspective because, um, if I don't know if you guys saw my Instagram, but people don't usually see it. It's just kind of like me because I'm so used to how I used to look and how you know my eye looks I see it as soon as I look in the mirror as soon as I take pictures it's so hard for me to get past it but when I ask other people when people meet me they don't even know about it until I mention it so it's something it's kind of like a personal struggle that I'm still you know doing with to this day like even on my Instagram or Facebook people that know me they'll you know and I'll share my Instagram at the end of this but people that look at my Instagram they'll notice I've gotten people telling me asking me you know hey why is your pictures why are pictures a certain way? Because I tend to hide, you know, that side of my face because I'm sensitive about it. 
And um, so you must have you must have connected now. with uh, Tulsi that that uh, one guest that I had on. You know, just the fact that she's got to live with her yes, accident. Yeah. You know, decades after. And, and, and the way she described her, I wouldn't even compare myself to her. That's why, like, when I mentioned that, mentioned my eye, I try not to make it seem like it's the worst thing in the world because it's really not. Like, it's really not the worst thing in the world. Uh, when I get the courage to post a picture of my full face, I'm pretty sure people would be like, dude, what are you talking about? It's not that bad. Because <laughs> I know it's not. It's just a it's just a personal, you know, we're, we're our own harshest critics. So it's just me, really. I have to get past it. So I was going to say me even saying that publicly to you and people that are going to hear this is the first step to me just getting over it and learning to post and, and, and just owning it, you know? And, yeah. and I'm still learning to do that, but, yeah. you know, I'm almost there, but, you know, still, still working on it. So let's, um, let, let's so, go, uh, let's go back yeah. just so, um, I, I, I really want to understand how this happened. Yeah. Like, so yeah. you, you, you're in the hospital, obviously you've, you've got these injuries, you, you were shot twice to do the surgeries, et cetera. Yeah. But at what point did you find out that you were shot by cops and how is it that cops were in shorts? How is it that you were shot? So, I mean, like, how did this happen? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's usually the first question people have after I, they ask me, did you shoot them? <laughs> and I'm like, of course, but um, how it happened, was, and this is during the catch-up that my mom gave me that, you know, I got shot in the face and, you know, it was the police, and she told me it was the police. The thing is, back then, the climate nowadays, as far as police brutality, it's not that police brutality wasn't prevailing back then in 2014, because it's been going on, really, if you really want to talk about it since ever, as far as, like, you know, brutality, as far as African-Americans, but police brutality has been going on since ever. It just really caught on recently because of, you know, people catching it on, on their cameras and, you know, we can see it now. Uh, but the way mine happened, it was actually, Eric Garner, I believe, was in June, July, and mine was a couple months in April before that. So when it happened, we didn't really see it as a racial thing of police brutality. We just saw it as two cops were just, reckless and just thought I was somebody. So we didn't see it as that. So we just kept it private. Um, my mom told me that basically the police chief came and you know a bunch of news people came, but she didn't want you know, the whole publicity thing. Police chief told her that basically they had gotten a call um, from somebody in the area where I was at. And they said that uh, a man that was dressed in a black hoodie was uh, apparently there were shots fired in the area and that was the description they were given. And I'd seen in the article that I read later on that the man was like, I think six, three or six, two or something like that. I'm five, five. All right. I'm a, I'm a short dude. So I, I, you can say it's dark or whatever, but apparently it was me being, you know, African-American and having the black hoodie on was enough for them to approach me the way they did. And the ironic part was that the cops had approached me. They weren't, because the thing is, if they were dressed as police officers and had badges or whatever, I would have saw that even if it was dark. And obviously I wouldn't, you know, try to run away because I have no reason to run away. Um, and it's not even like I grew up with my parents giving me the talk like, hey, you're pulled over. I didn't get that talk because I really didn't. That's not something I ever thought about or my mom ever thought about until it started happening, until it happened to me. So um, so I would have had no reason to run. But when the, the cops that approached me were actually plainclothes officers. So they had, I found out later on, I knew they had shorts on, but I didn't think about that. But I found out that they themselves had hoodies on and shorts on and they didn't have their badges on. They didn't announce themselves, which is why I, you know, thought they were about to rob in the first place. But um, yeah, they 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 had hoodies on themselves. Um, so they saw me, and I guess they saw me in my car, and they thought that was the best way to approach me. And um, you know, people can debate 
you know, I should have sat there, but I challenge anyone to tell me that in my position, you see two people approach you, you know, you have money on you and in the location you're in that you would have chose to believe, Oh, these are probably just officers. It's like, I don't think many people would have thought that. Yeah. You know, choose to believe that yeah. and take the risk. You know what I'm saying? So no, I I do. Yeah. I think I think it's easy for somebody to play you know Monday morning quarterback and and go well exactly. why why exactly. did you do it you know but like to your point you're in a rough neighborhood it's late at night you got cash on you two people are approaching you have no idea mm-hmm. who they are or what they want and I think it's far more probable that you were assuming the more probable occurrence, which is you're going to get robbed, et cetera. Now, what did the, what did the cars doing donuts have to do anything? Were, were these plainclothes officers over there? And why, why were they even in that area as plainclothes officers in the first place? Listen, like when I, when my, when my case ended, one thing that I wanted to do was talk to them myself and I never got that chance, but that's something I would have asked myself because I, I only tell that part of the story because that's literally just what I saw getting off the porch. And that was the beginning of it. But I have no idea what they were doing. I don't know if they... I have no idea. I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't even tell you. So these guys never came to the hospital to go to check on you, understanding that you were not the person that they were expecting? I mean, so let, let, let me go back. So their use mm-hmm. of force was justified because you moved the car. In other words, the car is the weapon. Well, so they, they here's, think here's that... The thing. They weren't justified in several ways because one, it wasn't their jurisdiction as we found out. So that was where they Whoa. already messed up. Yeah. So they came from a different precinct or something like that. And I don't know why, I don't know the story, but they ended up in a different jurisdiction. So it wasn't even, they weren't even supposed to be there. And two, they, I read some articles when I was in the hospital after I woke up and I could see and, you know, cause at first I couldn't really read on the screen too well. But after I, you know, got used to it, I started looking myself up and trying to see I wanted to see what they were, what was being said because the friends told me that I was in the news and all that. And they told me that, you know, they announced themselves and they told me to stop, which were all lies, but they told me to stop, they announced themselves and they told me that they felt that they were in danger, which is the usual, you know, thing that cops say nowadays, you know, we felt that we were in danger, you know, whatever. They said that they were in danger because they tried, I tried to run them over with my car, which is not true. I tried to get out the way because they tried to, you know, they were about to, shoot. I felt that they were about to shoot me. Um, they said that they thought that I was about to run them over, so they, they started shooting. But the thing was, um, and this is an article that I shared on my Instagram, um, it's actually illegal to fire at a moving vehicle. That's like part of the officer police rules in, in Philadelphia. So that's the second part that they were wrong on. So they kind of already weren't justified, like in two ways. And then on top of that, I didn't have any drugs in the car, obviously no weapons, obviously nothing like that. So you really just shot somebody just off the fact that he was African-American and had a hoodie on. Which, and you, you, know, and you weren't... Back Trayvon Martin, and you weren't out of the car, black. so they had no context for how tall you were or weren't. Uh, absolutely not. They, they saw me walking to my car. Mm. So I don't know how much what judgment they used or how tall I looked, but, I mean, I'm not I'm not taller than the car because I had a 2004 Taurus. I mean, I'm taller than the car, but barely. But I'm not 6'5 looking, so... Yeah. I mean, you know, I I, I don't... I don't think it's playing the race card, but it's, it's, it was a matter of racial profiling and just, you know, oh, there's a black guy in the hoodie. It must be him. What was the race of the cops? They they were white. So both were Um, white. And, uh, yeah, both of them. And, uh, in some of the articles that I looked up on myself, and this is a crazy thing, the, in the comments, everybody, a bunch of people were saying, oh, well, what was he doing? He must've been doing something. He must have something on him. Why would he run? 
you know, all these questions like, oh, and then one person even said, oh, well, uh, I heard that the cops were actually black. You know, all this misinformation being spread around and questions being asked when it was really that simple. Like, I got shot wrongly. And people just found it so hard to believe that cops could make a mistake. And that's me being friendly calling it a mistake, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't yeah. think it, was, I, it was a mistake in a way, but. It was a series of mistakes. I, I mean, it was like the perfect storm yeah. of mistakes, like one mistake exactly. after another. And I, I, I say it's friendly calling it a mistake because we've seen it happen so many times after me. Um, and, and, and watching it happen so many times in different ways, whether it was Eric Garner, Mike Brown, John Crawford in Walmart, um, Ahmaud Arbor, there's so many different names, and some of them aren't even police related, but whether it's, you know, Vigilantius or Trayvon Martin, you know, George Zimmerman, all that stuff just, and that was before me, but watching all those things happen after me, that's when I realized that my thing wasn't just a simple, oh, cops were just reckless. Like, it was part of a bigger issue that I wasn't even aware of when it happened. You know, like I said, it started with Eric Garner. When Mike Brown happened in August, I don't know if you remember that, but that was the one where he was with his friend, he left the corner store, and then they had an interaction. It was broad daylight, and he had ended up getting shot, and they had left his body in the street. That whole case, I was, like, obsessed with that because that something similar had just happened to me. Except this guy, he got shot in broad daylight, and there were witnesses, and the cops still got away with it. And that told me, and this is before my case even began, so that kind of made me, like, not worry, but it just was just like, if he got away with it, I mean, I know if I would have died, they would have they got away with it because um, there were witnesses there that said they didn't have their badges out. And then when backup came, they had their badges out. So they mm. took it out after the fact to try to make it look better. And then they tried to shoot them away when they came up and tried to give them their statements. They didn't want them to. This is also from hearing in the hospital and afterwards. So um, you, you talked about your, your case uh, was, well, uh, let me just make sure. Was there a mm-hmm. case? Was there a trial? Was, I mean, was there any repercussions? Yeah. yeah. From this, I was going to say to answer to answer your earlier question. No, they didn't come to the hospital to to apologize or anything like that. And uh, I'm gonna I was going to get to that yet. Yeah, so there wasn't really a case. It was kind of like an open and shut thing. Like like I told you, like I had no drugs. I wasn't high or drunk or anything like that at the time, or in general. Um, I didn't do anything wrong. It was just nothing they had on me. So there was it was kind of like you know it was, they had no choice. And um, Looking back on it, if I could change things, I may or may not have gone to trial, not for, only just to bring more attention to it. That's one thing that I don't want to say I regret it, because, you know, things happen for a reason, but um, that's something I wish I may, I I probably should have gone public with it, just to shed more light on it. And maybe, I think sometimes, and this is why I'm talking about it now, six years later, I think that maybe if I'd have went public with it, or, you know, whether then when it happened or later on, maybe I would have changed one life. If not, maybe one of the lives that we saw get lost of, you know, the Africans that get shot or if not one of them, then maybe somewhere somebody that, you know, we don't even know about um, probably would have, you know, saved their life. So, yeah, that's um, a, that's a, that's a tough position to be in. Um, I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. You know, I had an opportunity. It was heartbreaking watching it happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I had an opportunity to potentially prevent something that had happened to me from happening to other people. And at the time, I, you, you know, I just didn't have the 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 bandwidth, the courage, the the stick-to-itiveness to, to do that. And, and it's a horrible feeling when you sit back and go, okay, maybe I could have made a difference. Maybe I could have, 
you know, impacted or prevented something else from happening. I, I just don't think that you can live in the past like that. You know, you make your decisions, you, 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 you move forward with your life and you make the decision that you feel exactly. like is the best decision at the time. And, um, you know, with, with hindsight and with perspective, sometimes you, you realize maybe I could have made a different decision, I guess, relative to, to you and your experience, you know, what, what are you hoping comes out of all of this? Are you hoping for more awareness? Are you hoping for, uh, more action? Like what's, what's the ideal goal for you and sharing your story? Honestly, the, what I would like to accomplish isn't even possible just by myself because, you know, just one thing, police reform and the changing the way police operate. Because even at the end of my case, they said part of my case, they were going to change, you know, have some police reforms in Philadelphia. I don't know if they ever did that, but things like that. I mean, we've seen, you know, the protests and 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 all these different riots and all that, they change things like, you know, they take down statues and they'll paint Black Lives Matter on the street and things like that, but nothing really substantial. Like nothing, first of all, they might charge the officers that, that you know, commit the murders or whatever, but they don't really, they don't ever really see jail time, rarely, if ever. Um, and nothing ever substantial ever happens, like laws being passed or, you know, for example, I know they made some type of body cam law, but somehow Breonna Taylor went without a body cam. Like, we got a body cam after she died, but nothing about the entire incident. Like, you know, whether they knocked her out or whether they barged in. And like, why Why didn't a single officer have a body cam on their neck? So, you know, things that I feel that are very simple, I wish I could, you know, I wish would change, and but, you know, it's not that simple. Well, to answer your question, my goal would be to, like, at the very least, I don't know if you ever heard the Starfish story about a boy, and this is something my coach told me recently, a story about the boy that was throwing Starfish in the ocean one at a time off a beach, and a man approaches him and says, you know, why are you doing that? And he says, well, I want to take the Starfish. And the man says, you know, well, there are way too many Starfish in the ocean. You're not going to save all these. And the man says, okay, well, here you go. Pick up a Starfish and throws one. And the boy says, well, there's one. I just saved that one. And here's another one. So I say that to say, at the very least, somebody hearing this, and not even just, you know, a, a black boy like me. It could be a, a white woman, white man, any race or color or creed or whatever. Anybody listening to this, if you relate to me, if you're my race, obviously you can relate to this in a way where, you know, that other people can't. And I hope that, you know, hearing how, first of all, I mean, this can happen to anyone because I'm really, I was really, you know, not to say I was nobody, but I was really just anyone. And then it just happened to me. And I don't know why I survived, but I watched uh, I watched it happen to other people, and they all died, and that's like really crazy to me. So, I mean, just I'm, I just I just want to share my story to just either show people that one. I mean, people like to assume, like I told you about the comments that I saw about me. People like to assume that you know if this happens to you, then you must have. But I see this in every comment about every post about every time this happens. They always say, "Well, he must have been doing something." And that's not always the case. Sometimes they make mistakes or they, you can call it a mistake, you can call it a, a purposeful racial, a racist action. Whatever it is, cops do that. They, they can be wrong. So that's one. Um, two, I mean, the fact that this could happen to anyone, male or female, boy or girl, man or woman. And I'm not saying it, it doesn't just happen to black people. It's just that 
and this is a whole different discussion, but the the rate that it happens to black people is disproportionate to white people because people like to say, oh, white people get shot too, and they get shot more than cops, or more than black people. And my answer to that would be one, like I said, it's disproportionate because blacks are a minority. And two, if that's the case, then you guys should be angry too instead of just fighting back and saying, oh, all lives matter. Black lives matter isn't about saying that black lives are the most important. And I don't know why people don't understand this by now, but it's about the fact that, you know, black lives are under attack. And I, I wish I'd get into this more. I know we don't have enough time to even get into all that, but black lives matter. And I'm talking about the statement and the concept, not the organization, because that's a whole different sub- yeah. topic. Well, let, you but, know, let, let, let me acknowledge that because I, I want to be the first one to, mm-hmm. to be candid. I didn't understand it. Yeah. I didn't understand it initially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm the, Jen and I are probably the prototypical, you know, white privilege kind of people. Like mm-hmm. the, the way that we've grown up, how we've lived our life, what we've had to deal with doesn't give us enough context and understanding and empathy to the the different life that a person of color may have had to deal with and the things that they had to do in terms of protocols, et cetera. So when I, when I initially heard Black Lives Matter, you know, my mm-hmm. first initial response not having the context, not having maybe the the wisdom that I do now was, yeah, all lives matter. But what really you're saying in saying that is that, you know, black lives you feel like have never mattered. You just want to matter like every other life matters. And so it's it's exactly. it's like it's like reaching down to to grab somebody and pull them up to your level. It's not saying that you're better than. It's not like saying your life is better than a That's white true, person yeah. or your life is better than a police officer, blue lives or whatever. It's like collectively we <laughs> feel like our lives are somehow less than than other ones and we want to be equal. We want to be the same. We don't want to feel that way and so it it took me some time and some education and some reflection to really understand that to understand what that means because i am not a a black person i'm not a person of color so i i I, it was i i had to try to sit with it read about it understand it conversations like this helped me to understand i mean like it would never even occur to me that i could be shot delivering a pizza because I didn't do X, Y, Z yeah. yet. That's something that you have obviously experienced, you know? Yeah. Thank you. One, thank you for admitting that. And two, the, the way you started it, you know, you said you're the, the prototypical white privilege. Some people would hear that and probably get defensive because they think that's an insult. And it's really not. It's just a matter of fact. Like it's nobody's fault today that America was the way it was in the 1800s as far as slavery and, 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 and everything basically that led to the way the world is today as far as systemic racism and, and, and police brutality and all that and, and racism in general. Nobody created that. That's alive today. It's all a matter of, you know, and there are people that, can, that are continuing that today, but, you know, nobody, like being a white person of white privilege is not an insult. If people tend to think that, oh, I'm not white privileged, like I don't have that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not rich. I'm not. It's not about being rich, and I, I know you know this, but this is for people that don't understand. They might be listening to this that maybe didn't hear this before, and didn't hear you explain this in the past. Probably, it's not about you know being rich or or having things that black people don't. It, it is partly that, but it's also about, like you mentioned, not having to worry about, for example, delivering pizza at night and getting shot by cops because they thought you were somebody else. It, it, it's, it's, it's. You know, think we as black people have have to worry about certain things that white people just don't. 
And that's just a matter of fact. And it's not an attack on white people. It's just that we, we would like an acknowledgement of that. And it's not that nobody does. It's just that there's a strong majority of people that like to say, you know, there's no such thing as systemic racism. Like everybody's equal. America is the land of the equal and the land of the free. And that's true and all. But if anybody that knows America's history knows, they just know about the history of black people and where we come from and how we got here and all that stuff. And so, you know, and that's another topic, but just people like to say, okay, well, what about, and a common, a common deflection that I hear all the time is, well, what about black and black crime and, you know, the people in Chicago? And it's just like, well, that kind of has nothing to do with the issue at hand as far as police brutality because people are going to commit crime forever, unfortunately. That's just a way of life. That's just human nature. Some people are just more violent than others. They're always going to be criminals. Hope not, but that's just what I think. And so as far as black and black crime, that's not even... There's white on white crime. There's Hispanic on Hispanic crime. There's, you know, Asian on Asian or Indian on Indian. People are going to commit murders to those who they're in closest proximity to. And then if you want to get into why black and black crime is so prevalent more than others, well, that goes into systemic racism and goes into, you know, back in the 1900s, people, uh, black people were not being able to rent houses the way white people were, or not being able to afford, or not being given the same opportunities that white people were. And that's a whole other topic that I can't even get into now because, and that's something that people either don't know or want to deny. And for those people, I can't really help and they can't be helped because they just choose not to, you know, believe it or educate themselves. Yeah, I think that, I think you, Sean, are the people that, you know, like you said, you didn't understand before and your response was all lives matter. And it wasn't from a malicious place like, oh no, you guys don't matter. We do. Because that's what people mean by all lives matter sometimes. Like, you know, they want to, you know, shush the Black Lives Matter statement and concept that was that was mm-hmm. not us i think you know this is yeah, an, an important yeah. distinction is that you know i think when, when you talk about you know all lives matter when i would say that it was from the perspective that i i am, am not a racist i'm not a bigot I, exactly. I i looked at like every life being precious every life being mm-hmm. equal every life being that but there's a lot of people that that may not think that but there's a lot of people that don't experience it and i think what's missing exactly. is empathy you know, empathy is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. I think more white people need to be empathetic to what it might be like to live as a black person. And I think, honestly, black people need to be empathetic to the, the fact that it's different to live as a white person, too. And so, like, the, 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 the stuff experientially, like, I would never... I, I, until you talked about it, until you talked about having the cash on you, until you talked about not having the lights on on the car and why you didn't and worried about, you know, like that stuff doesn't even enter my head. And, and that's that's mm-hmm. a that's a privilege that I have that it doesn't even enter my head mm-hmm. that it's that I've not had to worry about it or think about it or plan for it or accommodate for it, etc. So to hear you talk about that and I, I think that's why I was eager to to do this show is it provides an opportunity for two people to get together three people including Jen although these heavy <laughs> subjects she gets a little quiet yeah, um, you know quiet. <laughs> she's a professional <laughs> listener with a voice so she, she's here yeah. she's still here she didn't leave the building Sean does such a great job with these topics so but you know I just think yeah. for us to sit and have a conversation and to try to relate to each other I think that's that's what's missing I think most mm-hmm. people their bias is to be 
defensive, to immediately defend their position instead of just going, okay, let me not defend. Let me just listen. I got two ears and one mouth. Let me listen twice as much as I talk. Let me try to hear what I'm being told and let me try to sit with exactly. it and understand it and, 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 you know, have some compassion and empathy for who's sharing, you know? And, and that's the thing. A discussion goes both ways. So you mentioned, you know, the other way. Yeah. When, when, when white people say all lives matter, sometimes we have to, us black people that are having that discussion with a particular white person, which I've had before, you have to, first of all, discern whether it's coming from a genuine place or not. Cause they're, like I said, there are people that just want to scream it back just to shush you. But there are other people like you, like you, like I just mentioned, that actually mean it from a good place. Because I agree with the statement, all lives matter. You know, there's nothing wrong with that statement. But then, you know, we can go into the comparison, breast cancer awareness. We're not saying that other cancers don't matter, obviously. We're just bringing awareness to this one because this one is prevailing right now or, you know, at this moment. So, you know, that's, that's the best way I can explain it. That's well um, said. I've um, never heard anybody use that analogy, but I think that that will help. Really? I think that'll help. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anybody I, talk about I've that. I've seen it a bunch of times. But yeah, it's, it's like... or. A more petty, pettier example that, that was recent, I saw uh, the anniversary of 9-11, and this isn't me being insensitive about it, but this is just an example. Um, when the anniversary of 9-11, memes were going around on you know social media, you know, all buildings matter. And at first I was just like, what does that mean? But then I realized it was 9-11. It's people trying to get people to realize 9-11 is today. We're not talking, we're not saying, you know, other historical monuments and buildings and other days or days in history don't matter. But today we're going to focus on this because this is what happened on this day. Or in other words, this is what's prevailing. So we're not saying, you know, that, that, that the, 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 I don't know, the obelisk in D.C. or the, the White House doesn't matter. We're just going to talk about the World Trade Center because they're the ones that were under attack on this day. Yeah. So, you know, I people think all buildings matter. We don't mean that. Obviously, all buildings matter. That's not even a thing. But it was just like a satirical way of saying stop with the all lives matter stuff. Because, yes, we, we agree with that. It's just stop trying to use that as a antithesis to, all, to Black Lives Matter. And Blue Lives Matter is another one. Like, Blue Lives isn't even a thing because that's an occupation. And that's, you know, a Blue Life, that, that you can choose, like a Blue Life, you can choose to take that off. You can't, we can't take off a Black Life. We can't take off our Black skin. We wear it proudly, but we wear that. We can't take it off. Yeah. A blue Life is not a Blue Life. That's an occupation. You can choose to not be a cop. And you can choose to not be in that fraternity or that group or whatever you want to call it. So, um, uh, sorry to ramble, but uh, to <laughs> answer your earlier question, I don't, I don't want to uh, let this go without uh, uh, in the conversation without bringing this up. But um, you mentioned about the officers that uh, whether they felt um, empathetic or not. The reason I feel this way about my case is because when I did my deposition, um, I actually ran into them at the downtown office at my lawyer's office when I was doing my deposition. Um, I don't really have time to get into the entire thing. Basically. I didn't know they were standing there because I didn't know what they looked like until that moment. And my lawyer actually pointed to them and said, hey, are you okay? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, since they're here. And I was like, Who, who's here? And she pointed and I was like, that's, that's, those are the officers in your case right over there. And I looked at them, you know, their faces and I was just, you know, still in the back and just kind of just looking the moment. And then they kind of went in the elevator and then I don't know which one it was. I remember the name. I'm not going to obviously say the names now, but one of them went in the elevator looked at me and he knew who I was, obviously. I didn't know, I knew who he was at that moment. And we kind of had a stare down and I was just angry. I just didn't know what to think. I was just angry. And he stared right back at me and we didn't take our eyes off each other until the elevator, until the doors closed. So you would think somebody that, you know, had just, or had shot you, you know, a year or two years prior would, 
maybe not in that moment, take the moment to apologize, but wouldn't, you know, stare you back down like that. Cause it was a very tense stare down with him in that moment. And then um, during my deposition, which they weren't supposed to be there for, but during my deposition, they were actually, I learned this after the fact, when my case ended, I tried to get my lawyer. I was okay. I'm, I'm willing to settle the case, but I want to speak to them directly. I want to get that closure because I want to ask them myself, why did you do what you did? And why did you not feel the need to make it right in some way? Which is really just an apology. Not that I needed one, but I just wanted that closure. And my lawyer told me in that moment, she was like, that's probably not a good idea because they're not really remorseful about it. And I asked them, why not? And she said, well, during your deposition, they were actually in the back kind of just drawing, doodling, and just like, you know, drawing, just kind of like giggling. Not giggling, but like he's kind of just talking to himself and snickering. And my deposition was me kind of telling my story about what had happened. So it was an emotional thing for me. And they were sitting there kind of just like, you know, whatever. Um, so, and, and if you ask why, why were they even there in the first place, I think it was to intimidate me and to not tell the story and to not, you know, I don't know why, but they were in the room while I was telling the story. And I actually wanted to look at them in their eyes while I told the story. My mother said, you know, don't do that. That's probably not, you know, the best idea. But, um, you know, I say all that to say they were not remorseful about it. So I never got to talk to them. I actually still wish I could, but that's something I'm going to have to move past. Um, but yeah, I mean, that just goes to show like cops are not these innocent. And I'm not, I'm not talking about all cops and I've actually had interactions with cops since then. They've all been positive luckily or not negative. So I'm not saying all cops. I'm just saying, and you asked me what, what, what are one of my goals as far as, you know, sharing my story. One of them would be to be empathetic towards when you see this in the news, don't immediately think that the black person must have been doing something. And even if he was, first of all, that doesn't mean that he's ripped to get shot or murdered. That's one. But not it's not not everything is just cut and dry. Like the, the police are police, so they must be right. That's one of the things. I, it, it's a lot of things I want to talk about, like mental health and a lot of things that I plan to talk about in the future. But just you guys are just like the first people I talked to about this publicly, actually. But there's a lot of things I want to talk about in general. I know I don't we don't have the time right now, but mental health. Um, you know, cause I had, you know, I don't want to say depression, but I've had, you know, I don't want to say suicidal thoughts, but I've, you know, talked about, you know, death and like just having a near death experience kind of makes you think about death a lot and just your own mortality. And so mental health, um, I suffered from like seizures from getting hit in the brain from the accident. Um, luckily the last one was two and a half years ago. So they were happening as well every six months, but it's been two years since the last one. So. I'm doing better with that, but, you know, mental health, you know, how to take care of yourself and how to, you know, rebound from, from, from things like that. It's a lot of things uh, that I want to talk about and a lot of goals that I, you know, wish to accomplish with sharing my story. But, you know, the first would be to just bring awareness to the fact that, you know, this is happening and not all of it is recorded and all of it is reported. And sometimes, you know, people just, this happens to people and they die. And, just be again, I didn't do anything to deserve what happened to me. But even if I had, let's say, a, a gun in the car, or let's say I had a knife on me, or I don't know, my license was suspended, or something like that, I did not deserve to get shot the way I did, or at all. And I, in I my agree. opinion, I don't think that anybody that we've seen in the news, again, Ahmaud Arbery, Jacob Blake, George Floyd, I could really, if I say all the names, I'm going to take probably 10 minutes of your time, which I don't have. Yeah. But, you know, none of them deserve what happened to them. No, I, I agree. So, I mean, obviously they didn't, you know, but I'm talking about just getting shot and just the way 
we deserve to get their time in, in court if they did something. Yeah. Which I'm sure a lot of them didn't. So, you know, that's just, again, randomly again, but I mean, this is a very it's a tough topic for me to, not tough, but it's just very passionate to, to, to talk about all no. that stuff. Because I watched that happen throughout the years and uh, I feel bad not having spoken up earlier, but, you know, I'm trying to get on that track now. So, Well, first of all, number one, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your message. As, as we close out the show, I just want to say yeah. that it's it's been incredible to to talk with you and it really has helped me to understand what you know many times people of color have to go through and the way in which you've had to live or the things that you have to think about in order for you to do your daily tasks and jobs, et cetera. Um, it, it, it's just been very eye-opening to me. So number one, thank you for sharing your story. You. Number two, I guess, you know, this is called the Hope Radio Podcast. So what what do I hope is the is the nugget or what, you know, what, what would I hope to accomplish with this Hope Radio Podcast episode with you? And, and I think it's really just that, bringing more awareness because if I, I think if we bring more awareness to the subject, if we can talk about it, I, th- I think in today's world, what's so upsetting to me is that people of different opinions can't even talk to each other any longer. It just seems like it's that's, such that's, yeah. a Herculean effort the to get hostility. Yes. And, the, and so much, the, yeah. the, the animus, the hostility, the, the vitriol, the, the, the venom that it just seems to be present in, today's conversations it's it's just i i guess my hope is that this allows for people to have a dialogue that it allows for people that were like me before all of this to you know really began before it was really brought into a shining spotlight to understand that there is something called white privilege and that to understand that there is a different meaning to black lives matter than what you're thinking and to think through these to be empathetic to be you know, supportive in, in some way. And, um, and, and I guess that's my, that's my hope with all of this. And, and here's what I'll say too, is I'd, I'd love to have you on again. I'd love to be able to touch on some of those mental health topics, et cetera. I think that we could do a, a version yeah, yeah. two of this interview and maybe expand on it. But let me just say from, uh, me to you, Phil, you know, thank you for sharing. I'm sorry that what happened to you happened to you. Um, but I'm hoping that God uses that. this as a way to shine a light on the subject, and I hope he uses your experience to to help educate and or prevent somebody else from being in this experience, or at least to help the cause of bringing awareness to the fact that these types of things happen and will most likely continue to happen yeah. until we, we do something about it. That's the sad part. It's going to keep happening. I think the last one happened actually was like October 7th, I think it was. Um, somebody else was shot. So, I mean, it, it's going to keep happening, unfortunately. And so, you know, I mean, I, I just don't want to keep sitting here and keep watching it happen without at least contributing in my own way. Yeah, no. Um, and so, I, uh, before I let you guys go, I don't want to hold you guys, but I also want to say, whoever's listening, um, if they have an Instagram, I actually, for the first time, like a couple, like last month, I started uploading pictures of my accident. So, um, so whoever wants to see that, if you guys don't mind, I want to share my Instagram. Handle. Yeah, please do. Whoever, so whoever wants to hear it, it's um, my name basically, and it's Phil Holland, P H I L H O L L A N D, and then two underscores, not one, two. So it's just basically a long line. Um, I uploaded pictures of like just not only just the um, Meek Mill actually, uh, this rapper. I don't know if you know who that is, but he shared me on his Twitter when it happened, so you can see what it looked like, what it looked like on the news, 
and then just would look like me bandaged up and I had a picture of like my leg that the slits that they I told you they had to with my leg up just the visual just to see because I never shared that before and yeah. it's kind of hard for me to do it and like I said I'm still in the process of sharing my face so just to give people uh, give people an idea of, of you know what I'm going through where I'm at today and um, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress but I um, just wanted to share that real quick yeah no problem what, and what we'll do when we yeah. post the show is we'll we'll post these links I'll, I'll make sure on our Instagram page okay. Hope Radio Podcast that we have your handle on there and on our Facebook okay. page that we have your your handle on there as well so we'll make sure that people connect can connect with you and uh, you know that. thank you thank you Phil and thank yeah, you for your story yeah, if they want to ask any questions to me or, or you know want me to speak or anything that's another goal I just want to change lives the best way I can or inspire change in any way because it starts small. So, you know, we're all small people, so we have to start small. And together, we make the, we do the big thing. So, um, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop talking your head off now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Phil. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure to talk no with problem. you. And uh, I, I wish you the best with uh, all your endeavors of education and uh, awareness moving forward. All right. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys for this opportunity. Thank yeah, thanks you. Thanks for having me on. All right, Jen, I know for you, the hardest part of that whole interview was hearing him talk about the two hours that his mom spent trying to get to the hospital, probably not really knowing yeah. whether he was going to be alive or not. Uh, and yes. I knew you could sympathize with that. So I think that was probably the heaviest moment. And I mm-hmm. think from that point on, you probably didn't say much, you know, <laughs> but uh, w- what do you think about that, that interview? It's just, it's such a hot topic right now. So I'm just glad we were able to interview him. Yeah. Um, it's just sad. Like it's, to me, it's like a sad world. And I just hope that everybody can learn something from this. It's sad that we have to have this discussion. Yeah. It's sad that there has to be an acknowledgement that in, in many instances, mm-hmm. some lives don't matter right. as much as right. others. Yeah. And that's really the whole concept. And so I think, I think it's also important that, you know, it just shows that that when people come together in an attempt to have a unifying and or understanding conversation, right. that can happen. Yeah. You know, Phil, Phil didn't, you know, he. it's not like he had any preconceptions about us. I didn't have any about him. No. Yet, you know, we're two completely different people, different races, different experiences mm-hmm. in terms of what has gotten us to this point, different life experiences in terms of how we've lived. And it was important for me to try to step into his shoes, to understand that, to think that way, you know, and for him to do the same, understanding when I said, you know, like errantly, ignorantly, I would say all lives matter. I wasn't trying to attempt to say that black lives don't. It was just an acknowledgement that in my heart, everybody matters, you know, and so he stepped to my side of the fence to understand that. And he he agreed with us. And so I, I just think it was a really, really good conversation but I agree with you it's it's sad that we have to have these types of conversations but unless we do nothing's ever going to change exactly you know and I think that uh, both Phil and I are advocates for Mm -hmm. change absolutely right all right so if people want to hear more of our uh, podcast you know on the regular all they got to do is subscribe wherever you're listening to it right now hit that subscribe button we post new shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every week at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you'd like to get those new shows as soon as we post them, subscribe to our podcast and, and you'll get those in your inbox. And then if people want to connect with us directly, how do they do so? We are on social media at uh, Hope Radio Pad- Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 
Awesome. Hope Radio Podcast. So uh, send us a direct message. Maybe you've got a story of hope to share. Maybe you know somebody that has a story of hope to share. We'd love to just connect with you. Say hi. You know, let us know that you're listening. And uh, we'd love that. Yeah. That'd be hope filling for us. It would definitely be. All right, Jen, I've got a teaser for another interview that we've got upcoming. So I, I began the intro of this. This is a little glimpse for our listeners of our next Hope Radio Podcast episode. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go.